I'm here with Jay Potts, uh, creator of World of Herd and Atomic, and I'm here to talk to him about comic books and kind of where he is in the industry and how he feels about it and that kind of thing. So, uh, Jay, I just want to I want to start with something really basic, which is how did you come to comics? Uh, I blame my brother. Um, when I was about four or five years old, um, he used to draw comic strips himself. Uh, he was a comic book fan. Uh, he's about four years older. He's four years older than I am. Um, he used to do um, little strips uh, for characters that he created himself. Called uh, one was called um, the Crazy Heroes, including had a um, uh, five planes that would come together, form a giant like uh, a robot C five uh, transport plane. Um, he did another one called Tuffy Eric, uh, named after me. It was like a kid. Um, my middle name is Eric. And he was basically a kid who had this huge network of uh, spies and, and superheroes, and uh, ran around with like a Buck Rogers jetpack. So I wanted him to draw uh, uh, Tuffy Eric for me one day. Um, he declined. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. I complained to my dad. My dad said, hey, why don't you try it yourself? So I gave it a shot, and uh, it turned out all lopsided. It was an ugly, terrible <laughs> picture. I still remember this day. Shoulders were all all, all catawampus. And um, I took it to my dad and said, see, I can't do it. It was awful. And he said, no, look, you did it. So I kept kept drawing from that point on. Um, just trying to refine it, and still haven't got to where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lifelong struggle for every artist. Yeah, uh, your style is really interesting to me because it feels like it reminds me of like Gene Colan and Billy Graham and those guys, like the legends of the seventies. Uh, was that? Are you directly influenced by those guys, or did did it just work out like that? It, it uh, not not directly. Gene Colan um, always uh, loved loved Gene Colan on um, uh, Team of Dracula, um, Power of the Duck. Um, I had more exposure from uh, earlier years for Howard the Duck as opposed to uh, Team of Dracula. That came later. But my big influences back in the day were um, um, definitely uh, John Byrne, uh, John Bushima, um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. And so I think I think I gravitated toward that sort of old school style. Um, and it kind of kind of stuck with me, um, even though I've continued reading. I've been reading comic books since since the mid late seventies, well, since the late seventies, um, through today. So even, even through the nineties, um, I look back on some of those long boxes and I go, why do I keep reading these? Things? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Cause it kind of, kind of hits me kind of hard sometimes like, Oh man. Wow. So, so I've been through the struggle. Yeah. Uh, what, which comics were you into? Um, I've never really followed art, uh, uh, uh comic titles so much as the artist. Um, whenever I'd see somebody's art style that I really liked, I'd jump with them on whatever book they were doing, except for, um, you know, even if it was in the middle of the storyline, if another artist came on that I didn't really like, I'd go, eh, okay, I'll just go to where that other guy's, see what that other guy's doing now instead. Um, so, so, you know, through the years of, you know, with the, when, when Steve Rudes briefly stopped doing Nexus, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't read that. And, um, I was uh, a real big fan of um, uh, um, uh, uh, crap, uh, George Perez mm. uh, on, on Teen Titans, um, even before I became a fan of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. So at the point where George Perez left Teen Titans to do Crisis on Infinite Earth back in about 85, 86, um, and, and Jose Garcia Lopez came along, who I wasn't as familiar with at that point, I went, I'm not going to read this book anymore. I started reading Crisis on Infinite Earth. Later, I realized, wow, what, what was I missing? Well, I stopped reading that because I've collected that that brief run that Garcia Lopez did on Teen Titans. I've got about at least two sets of that mm. over, over the years since then. So, 
Is that the definitive uh, Garcia Lopez work for you? Because I feel like he's a guy whose name I hear a lot, but it's always just him being around and being great for so long, as opposed to being uh, like he doesn't have like a watchman, I guess. No, that's that's the thing. He's he's he's. Um, I guess did so many short runs on so many different titles. I mean, he did. Uh, I think it was, it was Jonah Hex. He did those in the early issues of those. Um, uh, but for me, um, the, some people think Atari, consider Atari Force is definitive work. Um, for me, it was um, Cinder and Ash. Um, I, it, was, uh, it was it was just a four issue four issue miniseries. Um, done the, the late eighties regarding uh, about a, a Vietnam vet uh, by the last name of uh, of, of Ash Jacob Ash who um, had uh, encountered a half-Vietnamese, half-black girl um, while he, during his tour in Vietnam, or one of his tours in Vietnam, and he, he just could never forget about her. He ended up um, risking all to find her, adopting her, bringing her back to the States. She was raised by his family, and after she grows up, they became become freelance troubleshooters. Um, and the, 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 the miniseries basically deals with uh, a common threat that comes from uh, both of the, from their, uh, a threat that comes from their common past, or shared history together that kind of emerges on this new case and uh, them trying to deal with uh, uh, the memories of the past along with, along with uh, limiting this, this threat as well. And it was just uh, beautifully uh, written by, by, uh, by uh, Jerry Conway, but I think it was some of Garcia Lopez's best work. It was set in a contemporary um, time um, with flashbacks to the 1960s, uh, early 70s, and um, uh, just kind of showed the gamut of what, what he was able to do. Um, his other, uh, I guess, what, what what you might consider to be his, his Watchmen, I guess for some would be his um, his work uh, Twilight, a book. It was a three issue series miniseries called Twilight with um, um, Howard Chaikin writing it, and you could see some of him adopting. It looked like he was adopting some of uh, Howard Chaikin's um, art styles and 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 and, and, and ticks in, in his artwork. But that one um, again, he, he inked it himself. But uh, and it was it was about. The, the, the idea of it was to kind of update the um, 1950s and 1960s sci-fi characters that DC had and kind of bring them up, uh, make them kind of current and kind of deconstruct them a bit. Um, but he designed that entire world himself, even going so far as design. Um, the, the, one, the one page I'll never forget is a double-page spread of this trophy case with all these uh, badges in it of these, these uh, different um, uh, military units and... Um, and uh, uh, military groups, and they're like, man, he, he designed all of that himself, and each one looked unique, it looked different, it looked believable, um, along with the costuming, the ships, um, uh, just just everything. And then he, he take, it takes you through, like, at least, I think about, uh, well, basically, like, thousands of years in this um, in this, in this, this universe that they create, and so he has to, like, uh, kind of degrade the world over a while and, and uh, show what, what it looked like in the past as well, and it was just a remarkably done piece of piece of work that um that, that really kind of showcased what what the man could do is it was just it was just amazing and i i have several at least two or three sets of of each of those. wow <laughs> is it the believability that appeals to you the most about his work i think so i mean the, the guy can boil down i guess the 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 the, the characters he creates are, are instantly like believable and, and recognizable, and they feel like they belong in that in that world, and um, they kind of it's just a slightly slightly more 
slightly prettier version of the, the world that we live in, a world that we would we would recognize if we entered some sort of futuristic world of twilight or something. Um, and I mean, his the term iconic is thrown a lot around a lot. Um, sometimes where it doesn't need to be, but I mean, the the ver- vision versions of the DC characters are created for their um, uh, for for their their style guides are are, are iconic. I mean, you look at um, from from uh, bedspreads to hats to backpacks to notebooks, toys to ever all kinds of packages, and you still see his work being used today. Like he's the uh, face of DC almost. Yeah, he, exactly. He's he's the face of DC, and he's the face when you think of. I bet when most people in the world think of Wonder Woman or Batman or Superman, they think of a version that that Garcia Lopez drew. Interesting. How? Uh, what about in your own work? Is believability something you also strive for? Actually, it is. Uh, I, uh, going back to the, the super, first Superman movie, um, uh, where, where the uh, Donner tossed had that big placard around the set that said verisimilitude, um, <laughs> not to the point where it seems like slavish and and and, and stiff, but hopefully to the point where you you can feel yourself immersed in that world. Um, my dad was. Uh, 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 worked uh, aircraft maintenance in the Air Force, and um, you know he could be, be sitting there and, and look up in the night sky and see a plane, and just by the running lights he would know what sort of plane it was. Hmm. And we would watch uh, we'd watch uh, movies, and he'd go, "Oh, uh, when they, they showed that plane taking off, it was such and such, but when it landed, landing gear that came down was such and such. So that's crazy." And my my brother was the same type of same type of guy would kind of pick things apart if they don't seem realistic or they don't seem like they work or they don't seem consistent. And so to, I try to bring that sort of consistency and reality to whatever I create so that just and, and try to research things too to make sure that, you know, because whatever I do, there'll be somebody who's a bigger fan of it than I am. And they'll, they'll, they'll kind of, and, and I don't want them to be thrown out of the story because something just doesn't seem quite right or doesn't seem like it's uh, consistent or doesn't seem believable. And it doesn't have to be necessarily believable in our world, but it has to be believable, consistent within the worlds that you create. And um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thrown out of that, um, you've kind of lost them as, a, as, a, as an artist or, or a writer, I think. Yeah, that's uh, so. Your next project, I guess, rather your uh, current project is Atomic. Yes, and that your comments on believability are interesting there because you're kind of you have to convince people that the sci-fi action is real. You have to convince uh, Tokusatsu fans that like you know your stuff, and you have to get the mechs right. Right. Uh, can you actually can you give us a quick overview of what Atomic is? Atomic is uh, basically my idea of what if uh, you kind of created the Avengers with tokusatsu analogs where you had like a Johnny Sako and this flying robot, you had uh, um, a Super Sentai team uh, some sort of version of Kamen Rider um, even a Godzilla type in there as well um, and an Ultraman and an Ultraman type analog, so you take all these great sort of, again I throw this word, iconic uh, tokusatsu characters um out there and, 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 and put them in one single story and give a reason for them to be all together. Um, so um, that, that's basically where, where, what, what, what Atomic is. Um, so I've kind of been working on creating this world from the, the ground up. Um, and when, when it comes to believability and convin- being, being convincing, I've, I've done as much research as I can. The only one I really didn't have a, a good grasp of 
was was Kamen Rider. Mm. Um, but but I've had to do a lot of research into looking into into what what that character is all about, and I think I've come up with a kind of a nice uh, analog of of, of of that character. And considering their history, I mean, there hasn't been just one of these throughout the years. There have been you know dozens, what, yeah, <laughs> dozens, yeah, dozens of, like what thirty four, thirty eight uh, different uh, Super Sentai teams throughout the years. Yeah. Um, uh, so so, and, and when it comes to the actual uh, mecha, what I've been doing is I'm using a Google or Trimble SketchUp um, to uh, design these these the, the, the mecha and have them fit together and uh, believably. And um, so that that's actually been a lot of fun. I've been focusing most of my time on that. And and one of the things I I try to do with each of the the mecha is um, because, like I said, consistency is is key. Is that every model is fully uh, designed inside and out, so that it's, it's basically each, each one is a walkthrough where you, if it, you see a character actually climb into it, um, you you don't see them just kind of they just don't appear in this huge space that's way bigger than what it seems like on the outside. It, they actually f- would fit within. I mean that that cockpit is designed inside each each mecha as well. So it's almost um, like a hard sci-fi take on. Uh... Japanese superheroes. Uh, right. Well, as far as um, as far as the the design of the the mecha and how um, how how they're set up, but then I don't want to te- seem too slavish to making like well, it has to be, you know, um, uh, uh, once they combine, you kind of throw reality out the window. Heck, when you when you're dealing with giant mecha, you're throwing <laughs> reality out the window anyway. <laughs> once you get a big thing over like ten feet tall. Um, the cube square law would just bring a thing, thing crashing down. Um, so, so you, you, I, I, take, I take some um, uh, I take some liberties with with that. Of course, we're dealing with pure physics, but when when it comes to uh, uh, you know seeing a character, uh, the, the one the one I'm really proud of is the uh, the large robot um, piloted by the young boy. It's called a Diatomic Max, who's, who's that big like 200 foot tall robot. Um, based with a loose samurai feel to it, um, but it was also influenced by, like I got to admit, by influenced by Mazinger Z and and uh, Radiant and those, the Shogun Warriors and that kind of thing. But I mean, that, that one is completely designed. You know, it's got uh, you got the you have this power plant in it. It has uh, stairwells where you can where you can go up to the cockpit and go down to the different things. You know, but I don't I do I don't go as far as how like the power drive system in it is. You know. Um, giant gears and whatnot, but you know the the interior part where the pilot would be is fully designed. So I want that consistency of how he climbs in it, how he would get out, um, and and so that nobody is wondering about well, thinking that's cheat. Hopefully they'll be so gross to the story and we'll be thinking about that. But there's always somebody like my dad or my brother out there who go, "Hey, <laughs> wait a second. Um, but 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 uh, I'm not quite a Johnny come lately to, to the Tokusatsu because when I was a kid I lived in the Philippines. Um, uh, when I was in the first first grade, um, for, from 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 seventy eight to nineteen eighty, and um, they had Jaka um, uh, and um, and Go Ranger on TV there. Mm. And I just remember it just felt kind of um, I you know because it, it was it was basically it was influenced by superheroes also, but it was just it seemed crazy to me even then as like a like a like a, like a five or six year old. It just felt felt crazy, but it was it was very engrossing too. And I just because uh, I just remember in Go Ranger they had the uh, the, the Go Ranger storm attack with the with the uh, the soccer ball that they kicked around and it just was like this is nutty but it's <laughs> awesome I want to see more of this and 
you know, uh, but I also bring uh, the little Battle of Planets in there too. Um, you know, some of the, the cartoons as well, but I really wanted to kind of pay homage to those, those, uh, those Tokusatsu uh, shows. Yeah, I feel like there's only been a few uh, American homages to that entire genre, which is it's strange because it's so in, it's kind of the best of both American comics and Japanese comics. Absolutely. That it's got the heroism, the robots, and also like the kind of do anything nature that manga gets away with more so than uh, American books sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love. Um, I think I was uh, talking about the, the hard sci-fi. I think. The only time Tokusatsu or Super Sentai show really tried to do that was one of the recent series of uh, the Go Busters, and I kind of I dug at it. You know, I, I dug the idea of them showing the maintenance crew in there and um, working on the the giant uh, the, the giant mecha and, and how everything would would work together. But apparently, it wasn't very well received there. And then you go with the the, the, the next series is this this crazy wild. I love the crazy. The crazy ideas they, they throw out, but the complete um, conviction in yeah, that the world. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They they, they 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 set up the rules and they totally commit to them. As wacky as they are, they just totally commit to whatever they are. It's not a winking nudge nudge or look how random or crazy this is. It's complete earnestness that they, they uh, that they, how, how they approach it. And I think that's kind of somewhat missing. I think in. in in American comics today is where you just a lot of them, uh, you know, not, not all of them, but a lot of them just kind of um, just try to get so super serious. You just got to accept that some, some it's not going to be the world that we live in, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the attempt to deconstruct it has gotten a little, little heavy handed over time. Yeah. So, what kind of tone are you going for with Atomic? Is it a straightforward Super Sentai uh, comic? Is it commentary is it a comedy a little bit of commentary i guess on um a little bit of militarism i guess because what i what i really have been enjoyed when i've been watching other uh, japanese cartoons is how the you know there, there can be fun and there's some incredible action in there but there's there's can be some really deep commentary and sometimes even in subtle on the world particularly like dealing the the, the consequences and pain of war, um, and violence, and then what can happen with it. Um, so, but I'm not I'm not trying to get too heavy with it. But I'm just trying to create a believable, um, I guess, backstory and uh, setup for for what occurs next, and a reason for them, uh, a convincing reason for them to get in, involved together, and to um, and interact. And I have to make the, the 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 threat big enough, but it won't be like disaster porn or, or mm-hmm. anything. Uh, are you? Is it going to be a web comic? Are you? Pr- What's your plan? I tend to make it a web comic, um, and, and instead of doing maybe a strip a week like I did with World of Hurt, to try to release maybe uh, what eight or so pages at a time, um, and give people a big chunk of story to to go through um, before the next installment. So, cool. what I would like to do is a web comic first for sure. Would those eight pages be a complete story or part of a chapter? Each one would be a chapter. Um, I, I think ultimately, I think it's worked out to be about ninety-six pages altogether. Oh wow! Um, so uh, I, I would have a nice little, nice package for for, for or, or when it's ultimately collected for people to be able to read and enjoy. And so your uh, prior work was World of Hurt Online, which was an uh, just like two-fisted black exploitation comics, and this is next. You have your Super Sentai comic. 
are you already thinking about what comes after Atomic, or are you just like pen to paper right now, focused only on this book? Uh, kind of just focus on that. I do have enough. I mean, I've done, done enough designs, and I've done enough backstory to to, establish, to to set up actually another Atomic story after the initial one, um, which will, will which may be a little heavier. Like I just want to establish the the world first. Um, uh, and get that first adventure out there. I kind of like I want to fun. I want to make it fun, uh, loose, um, exciting, gripping. Um, but uh, but I, I do have enough material uh, worked up for a second atomic story. After that, it'll be kind of completely up in the air. Maybe I'll just uh, uh, retire my pen because that's how long that's going to take. Uh, that's actually a good segue to my next question, which is about how you create your comics. Uh, you mentioned using SketchUp earlier and uh, admiring a lot of artists who I think are really detail-oriented. Uh, what's your process like? Um, with with the World of Hurt, it was actually fairly loose um, because I would I would I would kind of I'd, to be honest, I'd scripted on I had I had the whole story I guess plot worked out. I knew exactly where it was going to end. But uh, and I knew certain beats that I wanted to hit, but you know, kind of day to day, I'd kind of work out the dialogue each week, and, um, and I'd kind of build up on it. Kind of, it was it was, it was very loosely done. And with my um, with my pencils, I I wouldn't. I would first. I would try to pencil on like a standard sheet of paper or a standard Bristol board. You know, perfectly cut and perfectly sized for that sort of strip. But um, over time, I just ended up doing. Um, thumbnails on different, uh, maybe a sheet of notebook paper or several sheets of paper, and then I would light box that onto the, the, the final final Bristol um, and under underneath. And if I needed a, a, a particularly detailed background, I would use uh, I would I would create it in SketchUp, whether it be a car chase or you know um, if I wanted to have his uh, pastor, the main character pastor's apartment. Uh, from different angles, I would I would set that up and design that and 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 and, uh, and light light box those details in. Um, then I'd scan it. Um, I'd hate drawing panel borders, uh, but I would scan it in. Um, over time, I just use the the erase tool in Sketch in, in in Photoshop to create like a non-existent erase tool panel border. So you have these blocks of images. You know, separated by a blank space. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, that was the gutter, um, and then I'd, I would uh, transfer that into uh, Illustrator and do the lettering from there. Um, so, so it was it was a it was a, it was a very interesting, but kind of loose process um, for uh, uh, for for Atomic. I'm using SketchUp a bit more because I've created these really detailed environments and the detailed manga that I want manga that I want. Uh, I'm sorry, mecha. Yeah. <laughs> that I want to get from different angles, um, and like I said, maintain that consistency. So um, I'm setting up each of the uh, where any scene where I, that does involve some sort of uh, mecha, or um, uh, I, I will set it up in in SketchUp um, and actually build. Uh, create a, a JPEG of that particular image, and and uh, transfer it to another uh, a template that I've created in Photoshop. Um, when I create the the panels using those, if I uh, if I have something really really elaborate or I want to show from different angles repeatedly uh, within that page, um, so I kind of set up those those pa- those uh, each page in, in Photoshop, 
and kind of kind of go from there. And it's been it's it's worked really well. But for all the the, the characters, for um, for all the, the people, um, I those I just draw out of my head. Um, I don't you know use any 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 real reference for those. Okay. Are you self-taught? Did you go to art school or anything? I just went to, uh, well, most of it was self-taught, um, and, uh, and I totally went to the Savannah College of Art and Design for a master's degree in sequential art, mm-hmm. and that's really where we learned um, a lot of things that I had no idea about before, and got exposed to a lot of more um, art styles and uh, different creators that I wasn't really that familiar with before. Um, so that was, that was essential, along with meeting some really great friends along the way, too. So do you have a community of artists that you work with, or are you mostly solo? Um, mostly, I mean, you know, the, the Twitter, I, I, lo- I love to stay in touch with people via Twitter. Um, but here in Columbia, South Carolina, there is a, uh, uh, actually a growing art community. I mean, uh, uh, hang out with, uh, with, with Sanford Green. Oh yeah. Uh, comic artist here. He's, he's a fantastic guy who, who's creates this great extended family of people. He's just a, he just loves interacting with people and learning about them and just drawing them into his circle and uh, no pun intended. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, he's a really fantastic guy. And, uh, Mike Suddeth, um, lives here. Um, uh, Steve Epting, I've never met actually, but he happens to live here in Columbia, South Carolina too. But, um, and, and also there's Chris Sims and, uh, and Chad Bowers live here in Columbia as well. Cool. And you guys have ColaCon, is that right? We did have ColaCon. Uh, ColaCon was, was created by, by uh, Preach Jacobs. Um, he's a really, really great guy. And the, the first year, was, it, was, it was a combination. It was a uh, to celebrate comics and hip-hop. And uh, I've never it, it heard of a convention like that before, but it definitely forged its own identity and created its own niche that nobody else had, had, had settled into. And the first year was just, it was a one day event. It was just, it was just an amazing with great vibes and people who wouldn't necessarily come in, read a comic book were, were coming in, but they were curious about what folks were doing and uh, tremendous energy there. Um, the second year, um, same venue over, ran over two days. The, 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 uh, the venue where I was at, they, they kind of boxed him in, to setting it up on the day where uh, football is, is a religion here. Yeah. It was a day of, uh, <laughs> it was a day of a big uh, Georgia uh, you, um, Gamecocks game, uh, home games. So the, it kind of kind of sucks some of the energy out of that. Um, third year was a much, uh, this year was, or in 2013, it was a larger venue as well. It was a larger venue. It ran over two days, and I it, 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 it just did preach preach in because he was he was just he put so much of his heart into it but i didn't i don't think it worked out the way quite the way he wanted um but it's still a definitely a great idea worth revisiting and it was a great it was a tremendous run while it was while, while it lasted and um i think it i think it set up and maybe laid the seeds for something here um something else in the city yeah definitely i think those community building kind of efforts are really important uh especially when it comes to comics like you know i, I met i met you online uh, mm-hmm. I don't even remember the circumstances. I just maybe reached out at some point because I liked the comic. And, you know, you mentioned Chris Sims and Chad Bowers of those guys. I think they met online. It's mm-hmm. how important is the internet to kind of getting your work out there? I think increasingly it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those, another one of those phrases I hate tossing around, but game changer, um, cause it really has altered, uh, the dynamic of, I mean, how work can get to market. 
I mean, the the old under the old paradigm, you'd have to still have to find some sort of publisher, whether small or whatever, try to get your work out there, and uh, maybe you take a hit on it, and you, you wouldn't even know whether it's success whether it would be successful or not. You'd really keep your fingers crossed. But with the internet, you can really grow an audience, you know, at a very low uh, cost point, and and spend time. You know, getting your word out there, getting your message out there, getting your 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 stuff out there for people to see, and then by the time you're ready to actually print something, you already have people that want to see it printed. Um, so it's no longer quite a guessing game of you know, will people want to see this? I may be sitting on 500 copies of this book; they won't be able to move. Um, you know, it's going to move, and you know, people are people are already out there looking for it. And you can find communities of like-minded individuals, whether it's black exploitation or tokusatsu or, you know, or, or bonies or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so it's it's absolutely amazing and essential. And it's it's, you know, even even when it comes to funding, I mean, I was able to do the World of Hurt uh, book uh, through Kickstarter. You know, and um, I didn't come into it cold because there were people, like I said, looking for uh, some sort of collection of it. Um, so I was able to get those funds because it grew from there. But I mean, even financing it, and you know, and you know, Comicsology is, is, is something else out there as well. And it's it's you know, it's completely altered the landscape for for comics. And I think there's more great stuff being produced. Not necessarily all of it from the big two necessarily, mm-hmm. or <laughs> I won't say anything more than that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but or for major major publishers. But there's there's so much uh, availability out there um, that, that I think people are are finding those those, those avenues to to get their work published and, and seen by folks. And so it's it. I mean, even I mean, it's even changed from when I started World of Hurt back in two thousand nine. I mean, it's just. I've just seen the changes since then, and I mean, I remember people talking about Zuda, and now Zuda is, seems so antiquated and so strange. It um, seems so long ago, too. It seems so long thing. ago. Yeah, I mean, a lot of really great stuff came out of there from uh, um, Bayou. Um, uh, I guess the, the first thing they put out that, that came out there. So much great work, but but now even those, I guess, gatekeepers don't matter as much. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it's, it's amazing. So uh, on the subject of earnestness, that's something I've noticed in your work before between World of Hurt and Atomic is that you're not a deconstruction guy. Uh, you just kind of want to tell a straightforward story in whatever genre or mode you're working in. Is that? Can you talk about kind of how you see storytelling and even heroism to an extent? Oh, man. That's a very good question. Oh, wow. You, you, so you buttered me up with a softer question. It's funny because I think... I think and I've seen this as the, the maturation of the comic industry as it, itself. I think as time, and initially, you kind of start out and you want to go, you want to justify it. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, initially, you, you start out and you want to justify what you're doing and so show the world, like, man, I'm, I'm not just some sort of geek. Um, this isn't just stuff for kids. This is stuff, this is for adults. Yeah, you would be legitimized. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm legitimate, man. Um, or legitimite uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a legitimate artist doing legitimate stuff so you, you take these things that you grew up with and you, you deconstruct them and you make them adult and then I think now I think we reached a point where you know we don't necessarily need your validation anymore and we realize there is so much great stuff that can be done and, and told within a, a given genre and told 
via the medium of, of comics and sequential art. So I think I think with younger folks that are still coming up, you might kind of see that. Um, but I think with uh, people who have been around a while, I think that's why, you know, the same, I think part of the crowd that might have embraced or, or, or pushed away Batman 66 back in 89 when it first came out is embracing it now because they see that, yeah, it was a really great, earnest, and very straightforward adaptation of the Batman comics. Um, and there's a lot of fun stuff to be had in that that we shouldn't just kind of dismiss because we were embarrassed about, by it as, when we were kids. Um, and, and I think that's what I'm, uh, I, that, that's what I, I, I embrace. And that's what I really try to try to do is, um, because I think with, with black exploitation in particular, I felt that over the years, it, it's always got a short shrift of, Oh, that's, it's silly. It's bell bottoms and big afros and jive talking and phony karate and that kind of thing. But, you know, I saw there was a lot more to offer as I, the more I looked into it. Um, there were some really great, I mean, from the, the straightforward detective crime story of, um, of, uh, of Trouble Man uh, to the great social commentary and, um, uh, and, uh, and political commentary of, of uh, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, um, just a, a simple... Uh, gritty crime story like um, Superfly, um, just just really good stuff. I mean, I would say about fifteen to twenty percent of it was really was fantastic, but you know the market market got saturated, and some of it was was garbage to be honest, or just kind of silly, um, and it was just out to make a buck, which I think you know is made it garbage. Made yeah. it silly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's really a lot to be explored, and it, it, I mean the black exploitation. That whole era, I mean, for, for black artists in particular, it was like some sort of weird no man's land where nobody's willing to, to step in there and like, oh, man, it's radioactive. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's this, it's that, it's the other. It's just something to be lampooned. Um, and I wanted to kind of reclaim that and say, no, there's, there are great stories done. There's a whole, whole lot more good stories that could be told within that, within that, that, that framework. Um, so you just kind of figure out what, what about it made it work. And, and and go from there. I mean, I mean, we no hard, the only thing that I can think of of, of crime noir that's kind of that people that that was like a parody was the, the um, um, Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid. But everybody else every year they kind of revisit that era. Um, you see something else comes out that revisits that era. That oh, it's so serious and oh, um, the, the great stories to be told there. Um, but like nineteen seventies and and uh, the, the the black exploitation era for some reason. You know, only it, it's, it only exists to be mocked, um, and that, that's why I wanted to try to break with the world of hurt, and um, I wanted to try to do the same sort of, sort of thing, like you mentioned, just sort of a straightforward adaptation of, of take of look at what what uh, I guess the rules within that that genre, and and kind of play with them a bit, but not tear them down or say they're they're ridiculous or silly. Um, um, one of my, my there was one of my favorite Japanese property that a, a company um, uh, revisited um, in the past, let's say, ten years or so, and they they just made it really, really serious and really, really dark. It wasn't just a team of of, of uh, this this great team that was working together. It was the baddest team of badasses that ever badass. Yeah, and it just kind of fell apart for me because, and I think for a lot of people that read it were expecting something else, and it just didn't didn't work. Um, because it was, it just got too dark and too grim and they were just too nasty. And, you know, once you kind of call out the attention that 
yeah, they're wearing costumes and the costumes are kind of silly in this universe. You've kind of invalidated the next and, and you've called it to the attention of the reader. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but I, I just try to think that, um, try to try to try to respect whatever genre I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with. And, uh, because like I said, they're, they're probably, they're fans out there of it that are bigger fans than I am. And they're going to know, and um, and they, they probably won't appreciate how you take yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, do you know Fist of the North Star? Yes. yes. Uh, it's for those who don't know, it's almost deadly grim and straightforward. About uh, it's essentially Mad Max plus Kung Fu, but it celebrated an anniversary recently, and in honor of that anniversary, they released a new TV series called DD Fist of the North Star, and oh. it changes the setting from kind of like war-torn japan to a convenience store and it's like a gag show but it's done with such respect that like even while i was laughing and crying at the ridiculous things that were happening it felt like a real fist of the north star story and i think that's one thing that people like when they're uh, parodying black exploitation or anime or something miss out on is that like there was a point where this was really poignant and important and you have to respect that if you're going to work in that realm right Exactly. Exactly. And, and and like you said, if you can switch, if you can switch the switch the setting from a convenience store uh, to a convenience store, with, with, I mean, and, and still make it work, that really shows that you know what you're doing, and and, and doesn't uh, doesn't belittle um, something that definitely means a lot and, uh, and and has worked so well in the past to to for property to go along and still be embraced after thirty years. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so that's everything I've got. Um, can you tell us where to find you online and what you're working on right now? Um, sure. Uh, uh, working right now, we can definitely always find me on Twitter. Um, world of hurt, um, underscore between world underscore of underscore hurt. That's my Twitter feed. I'm, I'm always on Twitter. I do have a Facebook fan page, but I really go on Facebook anymore. I guess I should go back a lot more often. Um, there's also my, uh, my, my Twitter handle at Atomic. That's A T O M E C H. Um, I love pun, visual, uh, verbal puns. Uh, I, I love wordplay. Um, so uh, Atomic, I thought was a, a great, great uh, title. And World of Hurt itself is a, had a bit of a, a play on words too. What was the play on words there? Well, it's the idea of. Uh, I mean, uh, there was basically a fairly common phrase of like, "Man, you really messed up. You're gonna find yourself in a world of hurt." Oh. Uh, so, uh, it, and, and for a while, I'm not sure I haven't checked it recently. I was the number one, when you'd Google world of the phrase world of first, that was the first <laughs> thing that would appear. I was so, so proud of that. Um, and at one time I was walking through a department store, um, the past, like a uh, year and a half ago, and I heard somebody just talking and going, man, such and such and such thing of being a world of hurt. I just kind of grinned inside. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like you own that now. <laughs> yeah. You know, no. <laughs> And yeah, Atomic is a great title as well. Like, I kind of feel like it already says a lot about the series, even before you see a single page. Thank you, thank you. That's why I wanted to kind of create something kind of evocative, and um, uh, that they, you know, you get a feel for what you're going to be reading soon enough. So, yeah. Are you doing any conventions this year? Yes, um, I was supposed to do the Charlotte Minicon yesterday, but um, over the New Year's break, I. Um, I tore my quadricep uh, uh, tendon Jeez. and I had a surgery, so I wasn't able to go. So I've been laid up for the past almost two weeks. 
um, after that surgery. Um, so I wasn't able to go, unfortunately. But uh, uh, Rico Renzi and Shelton Drum, they'll always put on a really great show, no matter whether it's Charlotte Minicon or Heroes Con, um, which is a great segue to say that I will be at Heroes Con this year. Um, and I'm looking at some other smaller local conventions, too. Um, probably not as many as last year, but uh, when, when I do... When I do um, or plan to make an appearance, I'll definitely let folks know. But Heroes Con is the one I definitely have pinned in for this year, too. Um, uh, as far as my work, uh, Atomic, uh, my wife's really uh, pushing, like, hey, when do you get this out? When do you get this out? Hey, let's see this out. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, definitely get Atomic out this year. You'll you'll see that one. And uh, like I said, I'm really having fun with it. I really hope people respond well well to it. Um, it's really been a lot of fun to, to design and to put, all the, put everything together. Um, uh, cause I've, I've had a respect for, for a lot of the, for these properties coming in and it's even grown since then. Um, so it's really my main vein. Um, and, and can I put a plug in for another, I mean, you mentioned the birth of, uh, of, uh, uh, tokusatsu or, or, or uh, anime inspired works out there. Um, there's, uh, uh, Ujin Clark has a book coming out from Oni called Mega Gogo. The kind of that is a bit of a tokusatsu uh, uh, takeoff. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard um, of that. Been really looking forward to that one. And um, uh, there's a there's a book out there called uh, Robot God Akumatsu. Uh, that's uh, A K A M A T S U. Um, that's really really good. I met these guys uh, last year at a Transformers convention called Chartercon, or one of them, uh, the, the writer, uh, and it's a uh, a really fantastic take on the super robot genre. Um, it, get, it, it gets a little grim toward toward the end, but there's a bit of but there's hope that comes out of it also. But the the, 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 the character interaction and the, the robot designs and the, even the the, the the monster designs, which a really great name called a Necro Beast. I thought, wow, man, that's, that, <laughs> you just see that on an episode of like Voltron or something. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they're they're really you can tell they're really steeped in in, in uh, the, the super robot genre. And it really comes across in the page, so I'd recommend Robot God Akamatsu as well. Fantastic. Well, all right, thanks for talking with me. Oh, thanks for having me.